Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Guys, we're back on Conspiracy Normal. It's been a couple of weeks. It's just me and Rob chilling here in the Bighorn Studio, chillaxing, chillaxing. We got. We don't. Well, how's everything going, Luke? Oh wait, he's not here. He was tired. Yeah, he's, he's tired. He's tired. You know, he works hard. He's he's a fry cook at a barbecue place downtown, so it takes a lot out of him. <laughs> <laughs> how you been, Rob? Even though even though I've seen you all day, but just for the general audience, tell everybody how you been. Um, today I've been good. I it was a rough week. I had the flu. Yeah, you had the plague, man. It That's was horrible. What happened. I was like four days of like horrible aches and fever, and just ugh, it was like cool. uh, like Alyssa got it, and like you like didn't you girls get it too? One of them did. Yep. And one was completely unscathed. Yep. And we had family in town for the week. It was awesome. It was great timing. <laughs> a family in town right when you got sick, man. None of them caught it, though, thankfully. so. Yeah, I know it. Well, that is good. Um, well, like I said, it's been two weeks, man. And I I moved. Um, you helped me move the other day. Which sick. was... Was it the second time you helped me move? Um. No, no, while I was sick. That oh, was, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. Time. That was the first day you were that was the first day you were sick too. Yep. Right? Yeah. Not not cool. I had a bail on you, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's perfectly okay. We did come over here and I got to show my dad the studio, so that was really that was really neat. Um and today you uh you smoked some butt for us. I did. Smoked a big old pork butt. That was some good butt, man. Oh man, it was delicious. I had like two servings of butt. 
There's no double entendre there, is there? No, and we didn't make any jokes during dinner. Because <laughs> we're civilized folks. Not at all. Not, not at all. <laughs> well, guys, uh, tonight we have on Jeff... I think his name is pronounced Worcester. I'm going to have to ask him, like, what is your name? How is your name pronounced? Because there's like, I hear Worcester, I hear Worcester, I hear Worcester, I hear all kinds of pronunciations of that name. So I think I'm just going to have to ask you, how do I pronounce your name? (laughs) You would think that that would be an easy name to pronounce, but it really isn't. If you think about it, because you were like, I always think about Worcestershire sauce, right? Right, right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I've seen his name written like I I know I I can't help you though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I yeah, I know. I'm just we're just going to have to ask him. I'm sure it's one of the like 50 different ways that you can pronounce it. Uh guys, we just did a session uh about an hour and a half ago with Peter Robbins. My favorite story ever. Yes. Ever. Uh we can tell you a little bit about that story. Um this is a story about Peter when he was a young man back in the early 70s a trip that he took to first to Europe and then to Greece and then Turkey and all the way into Afghanistan. And we just got to where he went to Afghanistan to into Pakistan and then about where he was going to go to India. So we're going to have to do a two-parter on this, but you're not going to hear that on the regular stream. So, Rob, tell everybody where they can hear this incredible story from Peter Robbins. Well, you can hear this, and this is our fourth episode, is it not? It's the fourth, yes, our fourth. Uh, th- three other, there's a uh, back catalog starting to grow at our Patreon community, and that's at patreon.com slash conspiranormal, where you can sign up for various tiers of subscription to help support the show. And we also... You know, we just want to ask people to donate. We wanted to give something back. So this is our way of doing that. And, you know, anyone that wants to give a little extra, we'll give you these bonus episodes. And that one should be up there about the same time as this episode, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a way that, you know, we give you guys something that you can listen to if you want to give us and you like the show, you know, throw a little bit of a little bit of money our way. We always appreciate cash. So... But there's also donate. We can do, we we also do donations on the on the on the um website as well. Right. So if that's easier than a you don't want to hassle with a subscription or something. Right. And yeah, and I I I pointed out while we were uh, speaking to Peter that uh we now have three patrons. And we appreciate all three of those patrons. We really do. But so we're hoping to get at least one more patrons. I think it's a one-to-one ratio of shows that are on our Patreon feed to actual Patreons. So we need to start coming up with, I think, other things that we can put on there as well on a more regular basis. Yeah. And also, I'd love to do, we need to do like t-shirts and stuff like that for patrons too. So, but uh, guys, we are going to take a little break here. And we are going to come back. We're going to talk about the deep state tonight and what the deep state is, how it came about, what that term means, first of all. Uh, If anybody has been listening to the show, we've talked a lot about this, uh, especially in relation to Trump and his struggles or whether or not Trump is a part or outside of the deep state. So we've talked about this a lot lately. 
Um, it's one of the scariest topics for me. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, can, I can handle, like, paranormal stuff and ghosts and alien abductions and all that. Like, but this just... Well, yeah, same here. And uh, Jeff is the the head of a center called the Center for... for the. Um, he's called... It's called the Center for Deep State Research or Deep Political Research. So we're going to talk to him about that tonight. And so, guys, stay tuned, and we'll be right back on It's Paranormal. What if I were to tell you that the forms are not the facts? And what if I were to ask you the shape of water? Water is in a state of constant flow and flux, a paradox of weakness and strength. My name is Aaron David, and I am host of Charm the Water, a weekly podcast centering on the occult and mysticism based in Asheville, North Carolina. You can find us at charmthewater.com or iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite pod feeder. Come holler. Hi right, guys, we're back on Conspiranormal, and we have a first-time guest on the show. Uh, someone that uh, I had seen this person's material from their both their kind of uh, business page, organization page, and also their personal Facebook page. That uh, and we got in touch and asked him to come on the show, and I believe that I will pronounce his name correctly. And that is Jeff Worcester. <laughs> How'd I do there, Jeff? That's correct. Yep, you got it. Right on. Excellent, excellent. From now on, I'll just refer to you as Jeff. So that 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 that, yep, that, that will work. Uh, but tonight we're going to talk about the deep state, and you know this has been somewhat of a meme lately. That we have seen. Um, I had heard about this probably, I want to say about two or three years ago. The uh, the whole idea or the term, the deep state, uh, I think it's associated mostly with uh, Peter Dale Scott, uh, the philosopher, and I think he, I think he's an historian. I'm not quite sure, uh, but I've heard that the first time I ever heard that was about three years ago. Well, once Trump was elected. I started hearing it more and more. And actually the first time that I ever heard it on mainstream media, and it kind of really surprised me when I heard it, actually the term deep state was on a BBC news from BBC America here in the United States, uh, where they're interviewing James Woolsey, the former CIA chief who at the time was on Trump's transition team. And they actually said something to the effect of the American deep state continues on. And I thought, wow, that's that's a pretty impressive uh, use of that term. I've never heard that actually used on mainstream media. Now you're kind of hearing that all the time, that term being bandied about deep state. So I think, Jeff, the first where I want to go first with this is... Where does the term deep state come from? What does this mean exactly? Well, it's a, that's a great question, and it's definitely a good jumping off point. Um, you know, for me, I probably became familiar with the term um, through Peter Dale Scott, uh, a number of his writings, um, and uh, it, 
I understood then that you know it was a, a term that came from Turkey, and I forget what the translation is, but um, mm-hmm. but basically the the in 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 Turkey it's termed as as um, basically a situation where the military colludes with drug traffickers and hitmen and um, to, to specifically wage a dirty war against the Kurdish insurgents. So it was, it was kind of specific to the 1990s. Um, and I think Peter Dale Scott, you know, kind of took it and expanded on it. Um, you know, if you, if you read a couple of his different books, I think, um, you know, in, in one book, he defines it as a closed network said to be more powerful than the public state and that it engages in false flag violence. It's organized by the military and intelligence apparatus and involves their links to organized crime. Um, and, and to me, that's, that's the one that, that I'm going with. I think that, that, that he, what he built and what, what his, and his identifier for what the deep state is. I think that that's, I think that that's the accurate one. Uh, I think that, um, you know, later attempts, uh, have been made by some authors to maybe decriminalize, um, the term a little bit, uh, a guy named Mike Lofgren wrote a book called the deep state. This was, you know, uh, many years after Peter, Peter Dale Scott had written about the subject. And this was in 2016. This guy was, you know, uh, Coming from a political background, uh, much like I have, but I'm I'm coming from working with the with the Democrats and kind of battling my own working, you know, from within that that side. And he's coming from the Republicans. Well, mm-hmm. you know, he writes about it, and and, and he kind of dumbs it down. I I like to say it's a watered down version. You know, he, he defines it as uh, you know uh, it's a web of in, entrenched interests. Uh, you know, but basically links it to, to more of a, a financial thing, less kind of conspiratorial. Like, yeah, obviously there's structures that stay in place. Uh, you know, beyond the you know that that supersede uh, presidencies and things like that. Yeah, there's collusion. Uh, it's not real good, but it's not necessarily criminal. He really downplays it, and it, it you know that that to me is kind of um, you know put up put us in a, in a very difficult position because we've got you know what 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 the term should mean um, you know and and I think that they're trying to delegitimize it a little bit. It's kind of like how in the you know during the Warren Commission you know they 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 really kind of sought to label any skeptics as conspiracy theorists. And there's, you know, documentation, um, you know, to that effect that, you know, that, that the critique of this will, you know, will be in the form of conspiracy theories. Therefore, anybody who, you know, criticizes is, is going to be a conspiracy theorist. So they really gave birth to that. And you kind of feel like that's starting to happen now with a, a legitimate, um, you know, identifier that is the deep state, you know, and, and, and this guy Lofgren tried to, you know, Know, kind of water it down a little bit, and you know, in in the in the uh, in the wake of Trump's presidency, I think what they've done is is quite worse. I think that they've taken it, and the few elements that will talk about it, it's usually in an effort to kind of mock it, um, and it's and it's really in a, done so in an attempt to kind of tie it to the alt right movement, if you will, right, right. Um, you know, and and so it's you know they, they they tie it well. This is a you know this is a catchphrase of Bannon, and again I you know I'm speaking as a to me you know when I look into this stuff there's there's constant battles for me with my you know I, I always say I'm a Democrat but I'm a you know I, I'm an American first and I find lots of fault within my own party uh, you know I'm not I'm not necessarily well liked within my own party even you know even though I I, I do a good job um, you know in what I do because I do this kind of research and it kind of supersedes all that. So, um, you know, but 
you know, the, the, the attempts that are really kind of, you know, again, I'm not a big fan of Steve Bannon, for instance, but, 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 to, but to tie this term, you know, to Breitbart, to Steve Bannon and make it, make it a Trump thing, sure. you know, is, is done to, you know, really to me, I, I look and I see the parallels between that and the label of conspiracy theorists. So, uh, you know, I think that that's definitely dangerous. It's, um, you know, that, that goes along with the whole fake news thing that they're trying to yeah. kind of want. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, let me ask you as a Democrat, I mean, from your fellow Democrats, are you getting flack from, uh, studying this kind of material and talking about some, like a concept like the deep state? I mean, has that hurt you in any way as far as like, you know, having the contacts in the democratic party? Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, definitely a good question. Um, you know, truth is it's, it's, it's cost me, it's cost me over the years. Um, I probably only been working in, uh, the political sector for about nine years now. Prior to that, I, I have kind of a, a, an interesting life story, you know, for another time, but it, it basically didn't start with politics. I didn't go to school for politics. I was, you know, did 10 years in the security industry, always wanted to work in law enforcement. So I always had that kind of investigative mind and I was also a you know pretty good writer. But I ended up kind of wanting to, you know, all the while I was a deep political researcher long before I got into politics. So it was kind of like my eyes were open to some of this stuff. But, you know, you know, in terms of in terms of theology, you know, I definitely line up more, you know, with the Democratic Party, certainly on social issues. Uh, you know, that to be that that said, I differ a lot. You know, I criticize a lot from within. But, you know, I figure it's a two party animal. My research has taught me that, you right. know, it's it's unfortunate. Um, you know, I, I wish that it wasn't that way. But right now you're better off picking a party and battling from within. But I got kind of a unique opportunity, you know, to work in politics about nine years ago. And and I've, I've made it, um, you know, I've made it a career of sorts. And, and I've, I knew that, you know, going in that that was going to be difficult. Um, and I think that I was able to, uh, not necessarily consciously, but, you know, I, I really laid low for the first few years, um, until probably about 2007, 2008. Um, you know, actually it was probably a year or two into it when I really started to kind of come out of the, come out of the conspiratorial closet, if you will, and, uh, really try to, form an organization similar to the one, uh, you know, that, that I'm forming now, um, with a little bit of a different, um, you know, spin on it, but ultimately with the purpose of, you know, trying to put together an organization, a nonprofit that can really look into not only the JFK assassination, but, you know, a lot of other deep state crimes that are, you know, that, that really fit that kind of MO. And so, um, with that, you know, there were there were whispers. There were you know denials of jobs that I knew I should have been getting. Uh, you know, but 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 when you when you're good at what you do, eventually somebody will hire you. And I'm the kind of guy that when I pick a political candidate to work for, um, I, I do a lot of vetting. And for me, it's not about party. I might disagree with that candidate on a number of different issues. You know, I, I might have a couple key issues and, and things like that. You know, transparency. You know, things like that are ones that I, I'm looking for. But other ones I can kind to, you know, I can take or, or give away a little bit, but so, you know, I've been able to, to get jobs, I think because of, of what I've done, but I've also been, been cost a lot of jobs that I should have gotten and it's gotten worse. Um, and then certainly in the past year, since I really kind of went public with the uh, center for deep political research, which is the organization that, uh, myself, uh, and a couple of, a big, big time, 
kind of uh, minds in the in the JFK research community. Randy Benson, uh, who who uh, created the documentary called The Searchers, uh, oh, based okay. uh, based on the the JFK assassination researchers from the you know from the first generation on on through you know through and, and past my generation and so um you know he's one joe green who's done a lot of political uh conspiracy research on you know all the big assassinations uh richard bartholomew uh uh you know he's done um significant jfk research for many many years now uh you know we look to kind of put together a a think tank, and that's really the the long term goal of our nonprofit is to kind of put it together as a think tank. Uh, you know, have a small, you know, but effective investigative staff that can not only get to work and uh, you know try and solve these crimes. We feel that that you know, and I'm sure we'll get into it later, but we feel that there's a lot of evidence on in a lot of these you know deep events that's already there. It's just a matter of kind of putting it all together. So kind of put together a process where we're, you know, sharing some of the research we always, we, we, you know, that, that's already, that we already have and kind of putting that out in the mainstream. So it's really built on, you know, research and education and really kind of countering deep state, um, you know, disinformation that's going out there. And that obviously includes a lot of what's going on in the mainstream media, you know, being that, that the mainstream media, uh, you know, unfortunately is really largely owned by uh, the deep state or, or certainly loyal to it. So, sure. um, but, but, you know, it, to get back to the, you know, the question is, is certainly with, with this organization, it, it's definitely going to, it, you know, I, I'm kind of approaching it like uh, I'm, this is a good time. I'm a little burnt out working on political campaigns. This is really where my heart is. So if this kind of puts puts a nail in the coffin that is my political career, so be it. Um, you know, but uh, it's it's been tough. But it, for me, there was never a you know if it's got to be one or the other. I'm never going to sacrifice what I know and my you know I've done this kind of research since uh, since my mother first took me to see the JFK film in '91. I think I was mm-hmm. in six. I was in uh, sixth grade at the time, and so yeah. I've really been looking into it. I was a it. freshman in high school when I went to see that. Yeah. Nice, nice, yeah. So, it's uh, it it definitely kind of stuck with me after that, and and so that that was always my first my first loyalty, and so you know that's you know that that that's where it's going to start and end. But uh, yeah, it certainly cost me. Well, let's talk about the origins of the deep state. Let's talk about where this comes from, and also, has it always been around? I mean, but uh, the current system that we have where do you think what where do you think the roots of it are i think that um a good a good resource i'll i'll lead off with and i would recommend to anybody who's whether you know they've just heard the term for the first time or they've thought of it a lot of people kind of look at Peter Dale Scott's definitions kind of vary a little bit, and there's a whole uh glossary i've been actually meaning to uh to shoot you guys that's got a um a good uh, summary of a number of terms that he uses, you know, depolitical type terms, um, you know. But his, his his he differentiates a little bit between the shadow government and the deep state. But you know, for most people, you know, they equate it as one and the same. So people, have, yeah. a lot of people have heard the term shadow government, and they say, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." But whether you're you're brand new to the term or not, um, you know, I would recommend David Talbot's uh, "The Devil's Chessboard." It, uh, you know, the that that's really the basis for, um, yeah, I think. It, for somebody who who hasn't done this for a long time, uh, I would almost recommend it before any of the you know the big the big name 
JFK books on on the subject because I think it it goes way back and focuses not just on on the JFK. K case it talks about um you know the uh, you know the the early days of the you know oss the office of strategic services which of course was the predecessor to the cia and i think that that the roots were definitely in there um but i've got you know the way i look at it is you've got you know the formation of the joint chiefs of staff in 1942 um and that you know that that started to take um power by nature you know uh in large capacity away from the presidency you know you've got you've got a a supposed in, in you know advisory only body but you you've got it uh in 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 a place where you know it can manipulate you know if you've got a president who you know love or hate trump he, he's certainly not someone who's and we've we've had people from both parties that were that were uh you know very ill-experienced on you know in in terms of national security uh and with the military but you know if you've got the joint chiefs of staff i mean for example the joint chiefs of staff were uh you know known to to really kind of push president kennedy around and this was somebody who had served in the military so you know if if they have elements that can feel like they can push a a president who has military service imagine you know what kind of what kind of uh, influence they can have over somebody who who doesn't who's a, who's a neophyte in that area um sure. but you know i certainly look at at you know the joint chiefs of staff you know i ballpark i probably put it around the early 40s i say you know around 1942 with the joint chiefs of staff coming into being also in 1942 you had the office of strategic services which was a wartime intelligence agency uh you know and and that was that was formed actually as a component of the joint chiefs of staff um and there's a lot of good movies on the subject um the good shepherd is one uh it's uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. stars matt damon uh you know historically it's you know it's it's got some problems and it's not you know it's it's i would say it's less tied to the historical record than uh some of the some of the films i've seen yeah, uh, also, but, also deals with skull and bones as well yeah yeah that, so. that it's definitely some interesting <laughs> points in there some are accurate some have kind of fact checked some maybe not so but it's a good it's a good um for again for somebody who's fairly inexperienced to it i'd recommend seeing that movie and then kind of come in afterwards and read something like the the devil's chessboard which is a really difficult book to read uh you know if, if, if you're starting out um into political research from scratch but you watch it watch a movie like the good shepherd it gives you an idea about how oss kind of kind of bled into the cia so to speak uh, you know and because it was virtually the same thing if you think about it i mean really honestly yeah yeah absolutely and and it you know it <laughs> the the difference is is that what you know the the CIA really was was supposed to be subject to congressional oversight uh and you know i i like the line that uh the character who of course is 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 very loosely based on Richard Helms i think he's his character in the film is named Richard Hayes conveniently um and he uh he says at the end of the movie you know uh i think he says a congressman asked me once why when we talk about cia we never put the in front of it and he said and i responded to him well do you put the word the in front of god you know and 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 that, you know and, and even reciting that line kind of sends chills especially because i can kind of see richard helms saying that you know whether or not it's just an anecdote or it was really said it it to me that that 
really kind of portrays what their um, what their attitude was to oversight. And I think, I mean, you needn't only look at um, Richard Helms' testimony to the House Select Committee on Assassinations or the um, you know, or the church committee, and you can hear just the condescension in his voice. I mean, he does he doesn't believe that he should be there. He doesn't believe that he should be he should have to be there. Um, and and I think that that these two agencies, you know, which you know ended up into one, were were a big part. But I think to sit to say that the CIA itself, you know, is part of the deep state. It's not. You know, I I would I would liken it to, um, you know. To, to a to a layperson, I would say it's it's basically the military, industrial, and intelligence complex. I mean, yeah. Eisenhower warned about the military industrial complex, uh, you know, and and now it's it just grew, you know, af, after that it, it really just grew in, into both. And I think that that's really a, a a good way to sum it up. And I think that you can lump any of the intelligence agencies. I mean, it just continued to grow and grow with. The adding of the Defense Intelligence Agency, and you know, and and all these different components. Obviously, you are, you know, you already had existing military intelligence and things like that. And and I think what we're finding out now, though, is that the the elements of the deep state don't always play nicely, you know. And so I think that there's there's a lot of things going on now. And again, we'll probably get into that a little more in depth later. But uh, with the with the current framework talk about the deep state you talk about trump it's not just trump versus the deep state i mean there's there's elements within the deep state who who may have been uh you know wanted trump to get elected there may have been elements within the deep state that wanted clinton to get elected because she was definitely the more hawkish of the two yeah, uh, yeah. agree and, and and so there's there's kind of a whole lot, whole lot of thoughtful study, um, you know, that, that goes into the deep state itself. It's it's really a growing and, and evolving term. Yeah, that's true. It is um, constantly evolving, as I can tell on the news now, as we as we keep hearing about it. Um, I, I think too, you know, the the beginning of the Cold War really escalated it as well, um, and definitely the whole military industrial complex itself just kept on going because then you had, you kind of had an excuse with the cold war, right? I mean, you had conflicts like Korea and then you had the big one like Vietnam. And so, you know, we were able to be on this constant war footing, the whole defense intelligence, uh, the the whole defense contractors and, and all these kind of things. And then of course the cold war ends and the war on terror begins. And that, we're able to keep going with that because now we got to fight this constant war on terror. Yeah. And now Russia's back in the news. So now we got the old enemy back. So it's just like this whole thing that just keeps on, keeps on going. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely, I mean, for, especially because for someone like me, I mean, again, uh, though I've, I've delved into a number of the different deep events, uh, you know, as far as drug trafficking, all sorts of different black operations. Certainly, you know, most of the major assassinations, I would say I have a, a base on, on most of the, the big cases, but my, my, my in wealth of knowledge is certainly on the JFK case. And for me, it's, it's just deja vu. I mean, though I didn't obviously live through it many years before my time for me to spend this much time studying it, you know, it feels like I'm reliving it again. I mean, you're watching the way that again, and, and I think that a, a journalist, one of the few that I think is, is honest as far as covering the, uh, uh, 
as semi mainstream, you know, and certainly because of Snowden made Glenn Greenwald, uh, uh, fairly mainstream, whether the mainstream wants to admit it or not. Oh yeah. Did you, uh, you know, it catapulted him and he's, he, go ahead. Oh, did you see the, I think I may have even gotten this from something that you posted, uh, the Glenn Greenwald. And we played this on the show not too long ago where he was on democracy now. And he talked about how, uh, you know, holding the CIA up as a hero against Trump was really the wrong way to go. That uh, we were not, that that really wasn't, that we were kind of like in a rock and a hard place in a way between the two. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and his, again, regardless of, of where anyone stands on Trump, and again, for me, there's, there's no, there's no political affiliation when I'm, when I'm kind of getting into my analysis, uh, of the deep state certainly. And, and I tried to really try my best to look at it. Um, it's made me look at at people of my own party, uh, and distance myself because of things that I found out, um, different people that people are loyal to and, and things of that nature. So, you know, I, I really respect, uh, Glenn's take on it is that, look, I mean, regardless of where you stand on, on Trump, I mean, if we set the precedent that, um, you know, somebody else I was listening to today and I, I can't uh, pinpoint who it was, um, you know, it said something along the lines of, you know, if, if we allow this soft coup to go forward and, and let's be honest, that that's what's going on. Um, you know, impeachment is one thing, you know, I, we could get into, you know, a topic for another time and discuss whether or not there's grounds for impeachment. There, there may or may not be. Uh, to me, I, I think there are probably uh, some things in there to be had, and that, and that's more of a political thing um, on a lot of different aspects. But I think that if we allow a soft coup to go forward, that sets a precedent for, you know. Any president that comes in, yeah. uh, and they don't like him, you know, it may be somebody. If, 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 for instance, to play devil's advocate, if somebody's, um, you know, if somebody's opinion is, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Donald Trump fan. Okay, well, you're a Donald Trump fan, but, you know, um, or I'm sorry, you're not a Donald Trump fan, and so. Well, if, say, Hillary Clinton wouldn't have been elected, and who's to say that, that there are different factions uh, you know, within the agency? Who's to say that they didn't? You know, in this cycle, uh, you know, there's a lot of different factions. There's a lot of different leaks. There's a lot of different hacks. I mean, you know, we can, we can dissect all of that. It was, it was definitely an a action-packed year, to say the least, um, you know, in deep political research. And, uh, but if we, if we allow this to go forward, then it becomes, well, any other candidate that comes in – you know, and and they're not liked by by the inner the inner political machinations of the deep state. Then out they go. And so, um, you know, I, for instance, I, I would liken it to, uh, you know, I worked on a a recall election when Scott Walker was recalled as as governor of uh, of Wisconsin. And you know, to show you kind of where the public the public's mindset is is that look, I mean, this guy. Um, Really, in a democratic state, he got elected. You know whether he whether he lied, made false campaign promises or not. He we you know the Democratic Party got the my party at the time got the got the signatures. You know to to re, to uh, um, you know to recall him, and 
they lost the recall election. And that's because, by and large, the people of the state, even in the exit polls, show union households who should have been among the tops, you know, the list to say, boot this guy out, were still kind of coming back to him because they were people who said, well, it's not that I like or dislike him. It's I really don't like the idea of a recall because then it becomes, well, you can recall anybody you want to then. You know, and, and I kind of I, I would compare that a little bit to this. It becomes, well, if if we condone this or we turn a blind eye to this, then what happens with somebody else that comes in? So, you know, it really to me is a nonpartisan thing. Um, you know, I really look at it like, you know, like Glenn Greenwald does. Look, I'm not right. a, I'm, I'm personally not a Trump fan. And I think he's doing some things that are, are not, not not all that great for the country. And so we need to we that that's a, that's an argument for, you know, for another time. But it, but to turn a blind eye to this, you know, is, is, is wrong. It's, it's wrong. It's, it's, well, here's a question. And, and this is something that, you know, has been on my mind for a while. What exactly is it that they do not like about Trump besides his brashness, besides his arrogance and his ego? What is it that they actually disagree with him about? Because they can use that brashness, that arrogance, and that ego to tarnish him and all this kind of stuff. But is there something that Trump represents that they hate? Because it has to be that. It has to be something fundamental like that, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, you're exactly right. It's it's definitely – I think that that's the root right there because for for someone who's – you know. the deep state isn't an entity that that cares about a wall being built. Uh, you know, certainly there's some there's some financial, um, you know, uh, considerations in there. So I, I guess that that maybe might enter into it. But um, you know, looking at it as a and again for me that that's I have to look at myself and say, you know, I've got to try and take my political self out of it. And say, well, not what the Democrats are saying, because, again, you know, though I try and be unbiased, I certainly hear more, you know, from that side of the aisle because I've worked on that side of the aisle. But, you know, when you're talking about the deep state, you've got to sit here and look and say, well, why, you know, what what is it that he's opposing? And, And to me, I mean, there's not there's not too much that jumps right out. I mean, he's he's. His corporate connections, his his Wall Street connections. Um, you know, uh, Obama was a, was certainly had those. Uh, you know, most of sure. Obama's administration was very Wall Street connected. Yeah. Again, you know, I, I've I've no um, you know qualms uh, qualms there. I mean, it's certainly not a point I can argue. Um, so, I mean, it's it's not really anything that that jumps out i mean it could be potentially by having people like bannon by his side and certainly you know again personally i'm i'm not i'm not a bannon fan but that isn't to say that you know it's like anybody else you may not like somebody there's journalists out there that i may not like i may not agree with them they might write 50 out of out of you know, 52 pieces that I might just detest or completely disagree with. And then once or twice, you know, it's that old, the broken clock is right once. Well, maybe, maybe somebody that, that he's brought into his fray, maybe it's not him. Maybe it's somebody he brought in there. I mean, this is a guy that's bringing in outsiders, like, you know, his, his son-in-law, um, you know, and again, I, you know, even as a Democrat and certainly in my party is throwing, throwing stones there because, well, it's a, you know, it's, it becomes that, uh, you know, the, you know, that the family thing and whether or not it, it's impeachable or whether or not it's enforceable at all, you know, is one thing. It, it, it definitely is, is a 
gray area. I mean, obviously JFK had his had his brother, you know, and it wasn't until after that that you know that that really precedent was set, um, you right. know, for keeping family members out. But I, I think that his mindset. I mean, even speaking as a Democrat, I'm somebody who looks at you know at Jared Kushner as as somebody who's got an interesting perspective. Uh, again, I, I'm not a fan of Trump and, and, that, and not only because of, you know, a couple maybe, you know, select policy differences. It's, it, it's because of you know, some of the character things. And that's, that's, again, that's, that's a political, that's a, that's a personal thing, but looking at why the deep state would target him, you know, for me, it's, it's really gotta be, he's, he's surrounding himself with so many outsiders. Um, and, and I think that that's probably a lot of it. Um, I think that if he would have aligned himself with only Ryan's Priebus and maybe more establishment picks um, and not brought in some of these, you know, very unique outsiders, I, I think bringing somebody, I mean, bringing Flynn in and I think cozying up to, to Russia, though I don't, I think that that's certainly been, been blown out of proportion, um, you know, and talk about deja vu. You know, I mean, that was one that they used on on President Kennedy, you know, that he was he was obviously seeking detente with with Russia. And whether you, whether you're a whether you're mm-hmm. socialist or, or not, I mean, you know, we, we we weren't we weren't looking to uh, we were looking for mere coexistence. That that was what, you know, Kennedy was really seeking, uh, you know. And so but there are people that whether it be the, you know, the anti Castro Cuban elements that, you know, for instance, that are still based in South Florida and, and many concentrates throughout the country. And, and they still have that that hatred of, of Cuba and that regime. So any talk, whether it be Republican or Democrat, they don't care. They may be registered Republicans. But if, if they hear about you talking about this issue and, oh, you're going to be on the side of doing business with Cuba now, we don't want to you know, we don't want to deal with you and, and, and it may be worse than I'm not going to vote for you, you know? And so I, I, I see that kind of with them trying to lump. I think that, you know, again, I, I, I'm not inside the man's head. I, I can't say what his intentions were. I certainly think that, that the liberal media, you know, even as a Democrat, I'm, I'm the first to point out, you know, the, the bias there is, as I'm trying to correct, I'm on the inside you know, people on my side, you know, of course, they're neophytes when it comes to really deep politics, but trying to say, look, look a little bit closer at this. I'm not saying that there, obviously, there's some questions. There's certainly been some cozying up with, with some, of, some of his picks. Flynn, you know, is, is definitely, um, you know, that, that's something you've got to, we've got to dig into. But I, to, to sit here and say, I mean, that certainly could have stepped on the, the deep states. I mean, the, the, these are elements within the deep state that didn't, that were part of the first cold war. And so if they're yeah. still around, I mean, they, they still have that, you know, they still have that kind of animosity toward Russia that, and, and I think that that's probably part of it, but, but you're right. I mean, I, to me, there's not aside from those, you know, those couple, you know, maybe items. I mean, there, there's not really anything that jumps right out. It's, 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 it's very interesting. And it's, which, which kind of tells me that, that I, that there are some sort of, um, civil wars kind of going in between different elements, um, you know, of the deep state, whether yeah. it's, you know, DIA versus CIA, whether it's, you know, I mean, that's, Factions. I mean, there's, there's so much, there's so much. Yeah. I mean, and, and who knows, I mean, uh, to, to sit here and study that, I mean, I, I can't even imagine what kind of time, I mean, <laughs> just, just to be, just to be able to look at the different deep political events and, you know, you look into JFK and that's really how I got into the other deep political events. Case 
watching and you start seeing names coming up, names coming up. And every so often I'd watch a documentary on Iran-Contra, on CIA, Gary Webb allegations. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know, these names come up. And then so I get a book out on that and read, oh, okay, these names keep coming up and keep coming up. And yeah, I mean, and then and that's where it all really grows out of. And then, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the mainstream says, oh, well, see, you're linking everything together. You're a conspiracy theorist. Everything's all linked. And it's like, no, it's not a matter of necessarily act one was a hundred percent planned by the same people as act two, but there may be factions that had some sort of, you know, to do with event one that also had something to do with event two. So it's, it's kind of that same linkage that you've got to kind of look for. in this is try and, you know, find out. But it's, you know, we're only finding things out about the JFK case through the declassification of, of, of records that took so many, so many years to kind of get into, you know, and, and now really we've got, I know that we, uh, we talked a little bit, um, about touching on, on WikiLeaks and, and they certainly have, have a role to play there. I mean, that's what they've done and, and certainly what, you know, whistleblowers like Edward Snowden have done. Otherwise, these are documents that we would have they would have been conveniently destroyed. I mean, most of these documents, I would, would, would I'd be hard pressed, um, you know, to imagine any of these documents really coming out, seeing the light of day. I mean, even when the assassination records review board um, was established, uh, the Secret Service, I forget how many records it was, but they conveniently um, had had discarded uh, records before. They had to report to the assassinations records review board, and and obviously in the wake of MK Ultra, um, you know Richard Helms was said to have destroyed you know boxes right. upon boxes of of documents, and so yeah, these are things that I'm sure would have never seen the light of day, but because of whistleblowers and because of hacktivists and things like that, you know we have that chance, and unfortunately there's a price to pay for all that because these are people who are going to jail. Um, or risking going to jail for what they believe in. But, you know, it's uh, a lot of good questions there. Let's talk a little bit about the um, role of the deep state in these political assassinations. Like, I know JFK, that's that's your big thing. But what about, like, um, Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, these kind of more small-scale assassinations? Well, I think that... I, I think that those are really the big three. There's certainly, um, you know, certainly I would kind of throw in there, you know, the 638 alleged uh, assassination attempts on Fidel Castro. And when I say 638, take that number as a, you know, I, italicize that number in your mind. That's a number that comes from, you know, they're, they're, they're Cubans, counterintelligence chief Fabian Escalante, who reported, um, you know, locating 638 alleged attempts between 1959 and 2000. So these attempts were still going on according to Cuban intelligence. So that, that's one that I would definitely throw in there. I mean, and, and these are ones that, that I always use those examples because look, those are confirmed. You know, we have, you know, we have number of on the books attempts that, um, didn't pan out, but you know we know that. Uh, so obviously, it becomes a little bit more more sketchy, um, you know, when you're talking about killing members of of our own state. And so, you know, JFK certainly, you know, could talk all day about that one. But you know, the King assassination, uh, you know, I think that that's. I think that really getting into talking about King is. I think that when you look at, I think a lot of people look 
and they think that he got killed because of his stance on civil rights. And that's that fits perfectly into the box of, you know, why he was killed if it were by a lone gunman, James Earl Ray. But sure. if, you, if you're looking at it with a wide angle lens, you know, it's really what got him into trouble in my mind. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that the research really bears bears me out on this is that it, when he started really criticizing the Vietnam War and really became less about just civil rights and more about the war. And and then those are the two common threads that, you know, tie the King and, and RFK assassinations together. These are two people who were talking about ending the war. I mean, certainly King was from, from the role of as an activist and Robert Kennedy as, as someone who's running for the president. See, um, you know, and, and, David Talbot, who wrote one book, again, on the Devil's Chessboard, which is outstanding. Another good book that he wrote on the subject um, of RFK uh, was Brothers. And, and he really kind of goes with the thesis that ultimately Robert F. Kennedy was going to, um, you know, that the only the powers of the presidency would um, would really show the truth of his brother's death. And I definitely believe that that there that there's truth to that. And he really, he he his research really kind of speaks for itself in there. Um, you know, some say it's speculative, but I think that, that a lot of the, the sources that the Talbot goes with are, are good ones. And, um, I think that that's part of it. I think that, that just like with JFK, if, if you're going to talk about motive, I mean, there, there's oftentimes several motives for killing somebody. Um, you know, and some of those motives are, are tied to different entities. Sometimes one or two entities have, you know, 10 different reasons, you know, that, that they could get rid of somebody. But I really think that, you know, when you're talking about motive for, for these two assassinations, it really is the common thread is, is their opposition to the Vietnam War, which, I mean, directly um, – counters the you know the deep state that military military turned intelligence uh complex that really wants to take out you know that really wants to push their their agenda um you know i i believe lyndon johnson was was certainly pushed um on vietnam i mean obviously you know he you know his his NSAM National Security Action Memo that he he signed in the wake of uh JFK's assassination i think it was a day or two after yeah um, you know that that authorized the war and and you know again you know, you know the jfk film does a great job of uh you know showing well you know you get me elected and i'll get you your damn war you know again great line you know who knows whether or not anything like that was 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 said but but certainly you know the the decision making process that you kind of see lbj go through is look this is somebody who wants to do whatever he has to do to become the president he'll he'll do just about anything they certainly had leverage not only did he want to be president he had you know he was going to be forced off the ticket and probably be sent to jail by the kennedys so you know he he's definitely somebody that that you know that the deep state can put up and say all right well this guy's going to push our our war agenda oh, yeah. he had his, well, he had his reasons for sure and and again and, and coming back, I mean, it's it's funny that by talking about these other cases, you know, how many ideas pop in about, oh well, we we're talking about Trump. Okay, well, so you know, this is somebody who's really looking at um you know, some of his some of his um foreign policy, you know, decisions maybe sound a little bit more hawkish, but I, I would argue all, all you know, once you know, all day. All day, every day, that Hillary Clinton is 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 the hawk of the two, and this is somebody who, um, you know, again is 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 
trying to get close to at least forming some sort of a relationship with Russia, whether it's good or bad. One thing that it, it does not is it doesn't you know, lay the groundwork for any kind of military action. And so, you know, that that's something that these two, these two, um, you know, Martin Luther King, Robert F. Kennedy and JFK, you know, all opposed, you know, JFK was certainly showing that, that he was really kind of gearing toward kind of pulling out. We certainly know that Martin Luther King and Robert F. Kennedy were, were against it. And Robert F. Kennedy, if, if elected would have had the power, you know, to do something about it. So, you know, I, I think that that's really the common thread. I think that, they were they were enemies of the, of the deep state, and I think that as a civil rights leader, I think that there there's multiple motives. I, I really think for both of them, like I said, RFK, it becomes, well, you know, who knows what he can unearth on his brother's death. For Martin Luther King, maybe it becomes, well, you know, as in his role, in addition to really kind of going after the war. Look, I mean, this is this is a, this is you know on the books that. J. Edgar Hoover was trying to, you know, push this guy to kill himself. You know, we know that military intelligence now was heavily surveilling him. And by the way, the, the historical record forgets that a, a civil uh, trial found, you know, a, a conspiracy, um, yeah. you know, in that case. And that's that's the last official record, just like the last official record in the in the JFK and and you know MLK cases by our own government right. was up. It gets it gets glossed over though, you know. People don't remember. Yeah. What do you think about uh, E. Howard Hunt's confession? You know, I think it's like really. I've dealt with a number of different intelligence operators in, in different capacities. I've I've called some friends as much as you can call somebody who's worked in intelligence friends. A lot of researchers, you know, that that we work with in the community. Um, have come from intelligence backgrounds. Some are marvelous researchers and they may be a hundred percent legit, but you always have to ask yourself whether this is somebody who's a researcher, somebody comes forward to sell a book or somebody that you find, you know, though, though, as somebody who's really kind of worked, um, you know, in, uh, you know, public safety and kind of conducted investigations on, on more of a, a, a private and kind of university police kind of environment, you know, you really kind of look, you, you tend to trust witnesses more that you kind of go and find because it becomes, well, are they looking for something? Are they looking to sell a book? Are they looking for attention? Are they just crazy? Things like that, which isn't to say that, you know, again, there's, you know, you, you can't discount. I don't, I don't think most of these, these statements by these intelligence operators hunts one that I'm, I'm really on the fence on. I think, you know, when you talk about disinformation, um, you know, uh, a lot of people really put at, put, put it at, you know, 90% of uh, disinformation is the truth. And you obscure, you know, the, the most the most important points out of that 100%, out of that 10% that's left, you know, and so and, and, and to me, that makes sense. Because look, if you're if you're a seasoned researcher, you're not going to give me, you know, you're not going to give me, you know, five or six, you know, names, and, you know, I'm going to be able to look and I'm going to say this person doesn't connect with this person, you know, we're going to go to school on these, um, you know, it's, it's going to be hard. And, and that's kind of the problem that I have with Hunt is that, you know, he names names of people that are, um, that could feasibly have worked together, but the hierarchy doesn't seem right. And, you know, I, I'm not a big, you know, first let me, let me preface by saying I'm not a, you know, not, 
I mean, take the disclaimer for the, you know, the label of a conspiracy theorist. I mean, I deal in documents, I deal in, um, you know, I deal in identifying facts out of those documents. Sure. And sure, sure we, you know, there, there's always, you know, it, no different than an investigator has that, you know, an investigator, whether it be in a police department or a government capacity or a private investigator even would say that they have a gut instinct. Well, so, you know, somebody may have that quote conspiracy theory. Unfortunately, it's got the negative connotation, but yeah, we've, we, we've, we've got those, but, you know, I deal with, you know, I try and find as much as you can paper trails on these things. Well, obviously, you know, we know as researchers, we you know that you're not going to be able to find. There's not going to be those two, three, four documents, even if they're not documents that you know are destroyed. There's not going to be. It's not going to be that simple, and so it's really a matter of kind of piecing together and trying to put names together and things like that. And so, I'm not a a person, um, you know, who really buys into the hierarchy that starts with LBJ at the top. Um, I just don't, I just don't see that. And so for, for me that, um, you know, I, I don't, that doesn't mean that I discount everything in his confession. Um, I think that there may be elements of truth. I think that most, most of these guys that have worked in intelligence, I, whether it's 90% or 70%, I don't think that most, um, you know, information that they pass is a hundred percent false. I mean, they, at least not to somebody who knows any better. Maybe, maybe the media will buy it, but if you're passing that on to researchers, you know, I think that, that, that they know enough to know that, you know, we're going to do our homework. And so I, I just, I don't really buy into that. For me, LBJ was more of a, you know, as I kind of alluded to earlier, he, kind of a, that stool pigeon. He was, he was the person there that did he did you know did he want jfk out of the picture sure he did was it self-preservation sure he did you know uh i always i always get in arguments with uh with my with my own in in the democratic party and i say look you know lbj wasn't a good guy what you know whatever you want to believe he's not a good guy you know and uh whether he you know and they're like oh well you're a conspiracy theorist of course you know you think he was involved in jfk things like that you know and i and i kind of say look my thing is is he's he had um you know he had the motive the means and probably the opportunity to an extent but um there were too many wheels turning long before Dallas, you know, when you get into talking about the different assassination plots, you know, that we've unearthed in Miami and Tampa and Chicago, um, you know, (laughs) and things like that. And there were just pieces that he couldn't necessarily move. Um, and it just, it, it, there, like I said, it's, it's, it, for me, it boils down to the hierarchy. I certainly think that he had an advanced knowledge. Um, there, there's a difference between someone having advanced knowledge, certainly that by the by the criminal definition that ties them into the conspiracy that's like saying you know the simple definition is if you know you tell me today that tomorrow you're going to go and you know commit a a burglary you know i'm and i don't do anything to prevent it there's legal ground to charge me if you can prove that you know that that i didn't um that i didn't do anything about it that i had foreknowledge and so it's kind of like that and and so i think that he definitely had organized crime connections, things like that. He may have pulled some strings on his end. Certainly he was more of a, a phase two. He was more of a cover-up guy. I mean, the JFK case and, and any of these cases, I think you've got two um, phases. You've got the the actual act and then you've got the cover-up. And there are people who have different motives uh, to participate in a cover-up than to participate you know, in act one. Uh, again, proof positive 
you know the the central intelligence agency though you know i don't believe that there's there was a uh order that filtered down whether on paper or uh you know in someone's ear that look on this day this is this is going to happen i think that as an agency i mean you you have to jim garrison summed it up best you know he said look if 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 as an agency, they found out that if I, you know, if I'm the CIA and I find out that that people that I have worked with, whether they be official employees, contractors, people that we paid money to, in any capacity, if they were involved in killing the president of the United States, all of a sudden, you know, we have to cover that up. We can't. I mean, and and so it it becomes, you know, it kind of a different. You got to kind of look at the two differently. Certainly, you know that. You know that that certainly is, uh, you know, to me, in my mind, it's just as reprehensible. You know, it's it's just as bad as those who pulled the triggers, maybe even worse. But um, you really have to kind of look at that. And I think that LBJ was more of a, a phase two guy. So, I mean, Hunt is somebody that I, I think had some knowledge. I think that um, his his son, Saint John, is really kind of made the rounds of kind of getting that story out there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely interested in the connections between his mother, you know, and her plane crash. I mean, that's definitely a, you know, uh, one that really is kind of hard to get out of your head when you're talking about con- convenient deaths. Yeah, for um, real. You know, and, and so <laughs> it's, it's definitely, there's, there's definitely something there. And, and so I guess what I'm saying is you really when it comes to dealing with people in intelligence, I've worked with, you know, a number of different people. You talk about Jerry Patrick Hemming, you know, is a big one. There's, there's people in the JFK research community, you know, and I use that term loosely, uh, you know, uh, we, we bicker like we're family, um, and some are trustworthy, some are not, some are out to sell books, some are not, but you know, we, we, take stories different ways sometimes you know there's different you've got to kind of look at some of these intelligence operatives while jerry patrick hemming tells a bunch of researchers well you know on this day this happened and so you know you've got different people kind of dissecting it and and their take on it but like i said i i would take anything anybody who worked in intelligence said with a grain of salt but for me i'm a big verify guy no matter who tells it to me uh whether it be the mainstream media whether it be an intelligence operative that i trust whether it be an intelligence operative or former intelligence operative if such an animal exists um you know i'm going to try and verify that kind of stuff and so you really do have to take it all with a grain of salt so i'm you know ultimately i'm on on the fence with that one um i definitely it's to me, it's not as, as simple as four or five names. It's just, you know, it, that that was just too convenient. Whether that was one last way, I mean, this is somebody who hated the Kennedys to the day he died. So if if on his deathbed he could he could spin the wheel just a little bit more, hmm. uh, you know, maybe he would. And maybe there's yeah, maybe there's point. definitely some elements there. I mean, and again, that isn't to say that the people that he names, Cord Meyer. I mean, he names he names right people. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of different people and we're like, you know, these names are all people that I kind of fit, but they kind of fit with different people. Like they're people that are kind of odd to be uh, working together. Well, Cord so, Meyer would have had some, he would have had a motive because JFK slept with his wife. Yeah. So that would have been right all the there. motive that he would have needed. Uh, yeah. what about scandals and, uh, disgracing people? Like, for instance, like Watergate. A lot of people speculate that there was something set up there to where Nixon just kind of fell into the trap. Yeah, I think that that's that's really – that's become probably in in the present day – 
their kind of um, retribution is, is the wrong word. I think that that's the way that they deal with problems. Um, you know, in, in today's age, which, which isn't to say that, you know, the, that there aren't going to be, you know, convenient deaths out there, um, in, in much the way that whether, whether you agree that they were all convenient or not, I mean, there's, there's too many deaths in the, in the JFK case again. Um, yeah. And I bring that case up because you know, to my knowledge, I'm, you know, I, I know that there were also some convenient, uh, deaths in the, in some of the other cases, but you know that's a real big one. Uh, you know when people pass away right around the time, you know the the surges were right around the time that the House Select Committee was getting into it, right around the Church Committee, uh, and I think even a few, including Richard K. Snagel. Um, who, who's, who's really, uh, an enigma all to himself. Um, you know, whether you believe everything that, um, he has to say, Dick Russell is a brilliant journalist and has, has wrote a lot, you know, about Nagel in, in his book. Um, and so I think that, you know, you've, you've really got to kind of look at that, um, uh, and I'm sorry. What was uh? What, what was your original question? I got off on oh, a tangent. About, like like something like Watergate, you know, like yep, Nixon, yep, okay, so, and you know, because yes. you know the E. Howard Hunt, of course, pops up again in that. So yeah. So no, and and that's. I mean, I I think that for me, it becomes a situation where if we have to eliminate a threat to the national security state, to the deep state, term it however you want to. I think that. You know, it's got to be dealt with. And so if, if it can't, if it's too messy, you know, Jim Garrison, during his investigation, I know that, you know, it was said in the movie, X's character, again, whether, you know, whether the basis for, for X, that was Fletcher Prouty. Uh, and I think there was one or two other people that was a compilation character of, you know, ever really said it, it was, you know, look, you're, you're too, you're too visible now. They can't, they can't take you out, you know, which, which makes sense, whether it was said or not. I mean, that, that makes absolute sense. And I think that that's, you've got that now, I think in a lot of different cases, does that mean that you're not going to conveniently disappear? Well, we see that the way that people who deal with the Russian regime, um, you know, are conveniently disappearing, um, you know, whether, you know, who knows which side is, which side, uh, within the deep state or which side within, you know, pu- Putin's regime are taking are taking people out, but they're certainly you know, disappearing. But I think that if you can't or don't want to take somebody out that way, you smear their character. I think that you know you talk about journalists, and I know that was another point that we wanted to kind of get into as well. You talk about journalists like Danny Casalero, Gary Webb, you know, ones that I'm 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 the most familiar with. You know, these were guys that, that got too close, and it became well. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that in a little bit for sure. Yeah, and so I mean, you get too close, and and I and I think that that was really the situation with Nixon. I think that you know, again, independent of political, you know, shenanigans, certainly you know may or may not have been impeachable. But I think what he did, among other things, I think as as far as not what he did as a public official, what he did necessarily to the country, but what he did, again, as you asked earlier that made him a threat to the deep state, I think was, you know, that he got too close, um, in his, in the Watergate break-in, which really, you know, I, I've read a number of different books and talked to a number of different people on that case that are, you know, that kind of live and breathe that case more like I, I live and breathe the JFK case. And, you know, it's, there, there's really so many questions that still have to be answered. But for me, I come back at the, you know, 
the the Bay of Pigs, the whole Bay of Pigs thing, and and when Nixon alludes to that, and uh, you know Haldeman yeah. said that, that I I always felt that that was code for you know the Kennedy assassination, and, and, and I mean, and, and you listen to it, and, and I don't even think you have to be. I mean, just if if you take a layperson, you play that argu- that that portion of the the tape, and you listen to it, and you're going to say that 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 doesn't make any sense. You know, it's 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 forced into the conversation. You know, and it, it doesn't it doesn't really have anything to do with really what he's talking about. Uh, there's clearly something that he's alluding to, and I don't think it really takes you know anybody who who has an honest mind, unless it's somebody who's set out you know to to kind of smear the you know, the discussion before it begins. And I, so I think that that's part of it. I think that, you know, whether he authorized it or not, whether or not the motive for the Watergate break-in had anything to do with, you know, I don't necessarily think Nixon was consciously digging and trying to, um, you know, locate people who had, who had went after Kennedy. I think that for whatever reason, Nixon became on the dark side of the deep state. And I think that, um, you know, they, they set him up ultimately. And I think that, in the process, you know, he had gotten too close. I think that he, by using Hunt, and I do believe in some way he, you know, he was connected to the JFK case. I mean, his 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 involvement in some capacity um, is just. I mean, he was too close to all the right people. Whether it was advanced knowledge, whether it was whether he was in Dallas or he wasn't, you know, I, I think it's it's been pretty established that that, that he wasn't in. Dallas. Dallas, regardless, I think that there was definitely some role. There was definitely something he was privy. To. To whether it be Oswald in Mexico City, whether it be um, you know whether it be Cuban operations, I think that you know he he knew, but I think that he obviously knew something. I mean, if you know these are conversations that he's having, and then he ends up right, exactly. You know, he ends up you know getting tossed out of office, and so you know it's it's convenient. And you talk about. You talk about, uh, you know, Bill Clinton and certainly, you know, the Clintons, I, you know, I, I kind of look at that um, as, again, speaking as a Democrat, I mean, you know, the Hillary and Bill Clinton certainly don't have a, uh, um, you know, they've got a lot of questions in their past and not all of them are related to the Clinton Foundation. You know, um, it's, there's, there's just a lot of, again, you talk about scandals, there's a lot in their background. And there's the convenient death of, of, you know, you'll find we keep using these words, you know, this word convenient over and over. Well, you know, Vince Foster disappears and, you know, so does Whitewater. And so, you know, with with all that in mind, you know, there was something that that potentially he he had on them as well, because let's face it, as a if you look at as a as a. From a pure political point of view, Bill Clinton made an effort to work with both sides of the aisle. He wasn't even beloved by the Democrats because he did that. Uh, and so, if he was playing nice with everybody, why would why would they be so dead set on jamming him up and trying to get him impeached and kicked him out and get him kicked out of there? You know, again, it becomes, you know, like you know, Oswald was quoted as saying, "Well, if I let." you know, if I leave, um, you know, or if I take out a, a president rather, um, you know, being that it's the American system of government that the vice president's going to take over. So basically why would I kill the president when the vice president's going to take over and they have largely the same policies, you mm-hmm. know, type of thing. And so, you know, it becomes that, well, if, if it was a pure political thing, you know, so you're going to have, you're going to have Al Gore, you know, I mean, they had nothing to, I mean, nothing to jam that guy up on. He's, he's pretty vanilla, you know? And so, 
whether whether that was whether that was I would I wouldn't necessarily put that right up there as much as I would Watergate. But you I mean when you talk about scandals, there's a lot of common threads that bring these together, you know. And again, whether whether that has anything to do with with Hillary Clinton lover or hater, you know, I certainly think that what we're looking at is a lot of different elements with different interests. Um, some some are the same, but I think some are different within you know the deep state. And I think that you know maybe there's some people who who didn't want Hillary. Maybe there's some that wanted her. And and uh, for for I don't buy that this was this was all Russia either. I mean, I just at least the case hasn't been shown. Um, and I think that that's that's something I think Glenn Greenwald has done a great job of reporting on and saying, look, you know, I mean, this is a guy who, who swings pretty liberal, liberal on social policies. Like I said, he makes no bones. I can't stand Trump, sure. you know, but look, this is look liberal media. You know, what are you talking about? There's no, there's no evidence, you know, of hacking. If the, you know, if there is of Russian hacking, you know, come out and show it. I mean, e- even if you're going to argue national security, I mean, come on, if you're trying to prove a case like that, and and you're truly trying to sink this guy. Wouldn't you show your hand? You know, and, and I just throw it all out on the table. But you know, they're not doing that. So I, you know, I, I think their bluff is fairly farewell been been called. But I think that a lot of these different scandals really tie into it. And I think that it's it becomes a whole different school of political science. I mean, I think deep politics is a you know if if such a negative connotation you know hadn't you know this effort to really kind of push that push this down and label people who who look into and ask these questions as conspiracy theorists as you know whether whether any of your listeners are somebody who considers themselves in you know I, I don't know yet if we would call it a movement it's because it's become a catchphrase of, of the media the all right well it, you know if even if we want to call it that you know you, you've got to really be able to look at um at kind of what the media is media is saying on some of these things. I mean, Fox News, for instance, you talk about media coverage. Fox News is, is you know, pretty well pro-Trump. So you would think that out of all the, the mainstream media news, they'd be more apt to talk about the deep state. Well, by and large, they don't. And I was watching a video earlier um, from RT, and I, I can't remember uh, who the host was. Um, maybe it'll come back to me before our time's done, but he, uh, he basically, you know, was touching on how, well, you know, why, why isn't Fox picking up on this? He played a clip of Dennis Kucinich speaking and I forget who the interviewer was, but he was basically talking about, and he didn't use the words deep state. He talked about the military intelligence, um, apparatus. And he basically said, you know, that's, that's the core behind all this Russia stuff. You know, we need to look at this and what, and what motive they have to do this. Basically, you know, like we were saying, we got to look at the, at the, you know, what makes him a threat, you know, to, to the deep state to be able to do this, though he didn't use the words. Well, the, you know, the interviewer comes back and, you know, she basically either didn't get the question, but I don't buy that she didn't get the question. It was, it was, it was like, well, you know, so basically what you're saying is that, the, that this leaks are coming from the White House. It was like she went somewhere completely different. And it's like, no, that's not what he was saying at all. So, I mean, this is Fox News. I mean, if, if, if a network that, that's pretty established in, in Camp Trump is afraid to talk about the mainstream media, um, you know, and then you've got the the liberal media. They talk about it, and they talk about it as the means to you know first smear, um, and that that becomes again. It's you know they're all they link that to it's it's 
you know, again, whether or not, whether or not you're a fan of Alex Jones or not, it becomes trying to link, okay, well, we're going to link, we're going to find somebody that you hate. We're going to find somebody within, you know, the collection of people that you're for. And we're going to, we're going to find some way to link, link some of these pieces together to discredit you. You know, we're going to take you and link you to the alt-right. Um, you know, for me, I mean, uh, to take a case study for somebody like me to talk about this, whether I, you know, whether you're a Democrat or whether you're, you, you work in politics or not, you know, if you've got a lot of people on, on, you know, the left side of the aisle, you know, you talk about this and, and they certainly will come at me and say, so you're basically supporting Trump. And, you know, of course I would say, you know, I'm not supporting him at all. That, that has nothing to do with it. You've got to look at this, you know, with a wide, wide angle lens. Yeah. The but, thing is so many people can't, they're so caught up in the dichotomy stuff yeah. that they just cannot look at it any other way. They just think that you're, that if you say anything that's even like mildly supportive of Trump, they like think, oh, you're just a Trumper. Or if you're mildly supportive of Hillary Clinton, well, you're just a liberal. You know, it's just, right. it's just silly. Yeah, I mean, but for their purposes, it works. I mean, for the for a mainstream media that's that's really that that's really the the top, you know, the right arm of the of the military and certainly the intelligence complex, um, you know, and, and yeah, there are, are there, are there exceptions to that rule? Sure. There are, you know, you've got democracy now and different, different, um, different kind of elements of the mainstream kind of sort of mainstream. I would kind of, for example, you've got somebody like Russ Baker who, um, was more of a mainstream journalist um you know he he wrote for a number of big papers and then he he really kind of he wrote the book on on the bushes um on the bush dynasty and talked about you know really uh uh bush senior's role you know if again i'll kind of let your listeners look at the book on that one i I certainly have, have some of my own thoughts but there's there's definitely a lot of of common threads that tie Bush senior to this. Well, he, he stepped on that rail. You talk about stepping on the third rail in politics. Well, this, this is definitely a rail you don't step on if you're in the mainstream media. I mean, you, he, he touched that word, that C word, you know, and it, it's not, it's not the, it's, it's, it's not the other C word. It's the word in the mainstream media. It's a word in politics that would just fry you. And so he, you know, he, look at his Wikipedia page. I mean, just as a starting point, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a complete smear job. It's basically like, look, this guy was a, was a credible journalist, but now he's got into some of this stuff and people don't really know that much about him and what they know now he's, he's kind of discredited himself. And Jeff Morley, who's written, uh, who, who's one of the best journalists I know. And he, he still kind of has been able to really kind of stay on the mainstream, but you've got, you know, Russ Baker, opened up, you know, who, what, why, and he, he covers, I'd recommend anybody, you know, to that website and I'm not a contributor or anything, so I'm not getting any kickback, but, you know, Russ has really put together, you know, a, a very good archive. He's got a lot of big name deep political researchers that write, and he's got a, you know, specific genre of, of deep politics. Um, you can hit the tag and you've got all sorts of stories, especially now, anything from current events on Trump to, you know, way back to revisionist stories talking about JFK and Watergate you know, and, and all these different, different, um, surefire conspiracies. So, I mean, it, it's, but people like that, that really kind of step on that rail, they're kind of pushed out. I mean, there's that, 
you know, from a from a political standpoint, I mean, that's that's basically what's happening to me, and and, and I'm entirely okay with it. And what you know, maybe maybe most of these journalists are. Gary Webb, you know, certainly certainly had had problems with it. Whether or not he was his hand was forced, I mean, the fact that he was he was depressed and you know in his later years, I mean, I I think you have to look at that. I think that anybody would be. I think that when you have uh, an entire um, profession that not only just smears you, the guy could never work again. I mean, his own had turned on him. And so, um, it's, it's difficult whether or not he was depressed to the point of a lot of people are depressed. That doesn't mean that they're depressed enough to take their own life. So again, that's, I, I don't necessarily consider that, you know, I don't necessarily directly connect the dots on that. I think you really have to take an honest look at it, but, but I, but I yeah, think that it was kind of clear that he, that he probably did commit suicide, but at the same time, I mean, what he revealed, I mean, it pretty much ruined him, honestly. Yeah, I, um, I know, uh, I mean, it, it's been documented since that the CIA was really making every attempt through the media. I mean, you know, we're, this is document after document we're talking about that, you know, we know he was under surveillance. We, you know, we know all these things. And so he was being smeared. I mean, at that point it became for somebody like that, you know, for, for people that are pulling the, the springs, the strings back there. I mean, why do you have to take somebody out? Why do you have to, I mean, I hate to put it this way, but why do you have to waste a bullet on him when you can, you smear him? That's a journalist. That's all it takes. It's just like if, if somebody, right. a journalist knows that if, if they take a leak, whether it be, you know, <laughs> a leak, so to speak, you know, if, if, if from the white, White House, um, you know, they take information and they release that. If they're called to testify and they and they release they they release their source, they'll never work again. Their career is over, you know. And 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 it's it's almost that same situation. Well, they know that that's his livelihood. Let's just hit him where he where he lives, where he sleeps, all of the above. They certainly, you know, I mean, Kill the Messenger was a was a was a good film. Um, you know, I've I've read uh, you know a couple of the different books that you know. Dark Alliance that, that he wrote. Um, I've read a couple others on on the subject on on his pursuits, and you know I, I basically come er, al- along with the same. You know, look, he probably did it, but look, the guy also shot himself twice in the head. That's not fairly common. Um, I'm True. sure you, I'm sure you could find cases. I don't. You know, again, I, I tend to err on the side of yeah, he probably did it. But the way that I look at it is ultimately, you know, it's whether indirectly or directly, the CIA and its agents caused his his demise, you know? And so that to me is, is as good as pulling the trigger. And, and I think that that's really all you need to know. And I think for some, for some people that are threats, I think that that's all that they have to do. Um, you know, they first, that's what they usually do first. They go after your family. You know, they, they went after Gary Webb for, you know, for, uh, you know, for having an affair, you know, they get into your personal life, all those different things. And so, you know, and, and for some people, maybe that won't phase you. So then they hit you with something else and, 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 and it's different for everybody else, but it's definitely one that, that, you know, you have to look at. Yeah. But one that's, you know, Gary Webb, I mean, cause of the movie that came out a few couple of years ago and you're right, it is a very good movie. Um, yeah, you know, he's kind of well known. There's been a lot of documentaries about him. Uh, there's been a documentary that's been on Netflix about about Rick Ross, not the rapper, but Rick Ross, the drug dealer who was one of the one of Gary Webb's sources uh, that he used that was going to prison at the time. Uh, but another journalist that's not very well known is Danny Casalero, and uh, 
Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I I think that that's one where uh, I mean I, I think that the evidence really is is hard to argue. Um, you know, when you take a case uh, where a guy meets with someone in a hotel room, you know, the day before he died, uh, he gets a stack of documents from the guy. His source gives him a stack of documents, a tape deck, a briefcase, you know, containing a draft copy of his book. You know, he always had it with him, right? Well, they were never found when the hotel, when the hotel room was, was searched. And so, I mean, that's one big question. Um, I mean, you know, in, in going after what what's been called, and I mean, all you got to do is Google the octopus. I mean, and you've got you'll find there's a lot of great resources out there on this one. You know, it, it's it's a subject unto itself, and we'd be here all day talking about about just this one case. It's it's a fascinating one um, as far as as far as the basis for the for his investigation, you know, but basically he ties a, a lot of people together in this network. I mean, you know, the Inslaw scandal. You know, certainly the the big one. You know the and and that one in it is of it itself. You know, you've got people that are still. These are cases where they're still. I mean, a threat. I I would say that you know you've got people like Michael Reconosuto, um, you know, who's a witness in in that case, um, who who also is kind of tangentially linked to the the JFK case. He's kind of got some got some connections there that. You know, some information has been supplied. Uh, he's in prison, you know, but he this is a guy who fears for his life. So there, there are still you know connections to to here and now. Not that not that they're the government doesn't have every reason to want to keep uh, you know JFK's case from being outed even all these years. But you know, these are cases where you're talking that there could be still people implicated that are actually alive, whether they're 60, 70, 80, 90, you know, these are people that could still be alive. So it's, it's, it's definitely dangerous. And I mean, if it's dangerous now, imagine then, you know, he's, he stepped, he stepped on the octopus and, you know, something got him. I mean, you know, he had gotten death threats. Um, you know, he had told his brother, um, a week before he went to Martinsburg, West Virginia, which is funny. Uh, I actually worked uh, in uh, the state of West Virginia on a political campaign uh, this mm-hmm. past year. And uh, that, he was one of the first things I, I thought about when I crossed the border. Uh, and I, that was actually in the congressional district I worked in, uh, Martinsburg. Um, and, I, you know, he, he told his brother, look, if anything happens to me, don't believe it's an accident. You know, mm-hmm. he, he talked about a lot of different threats and um, – there's a good book out there on that one. Um, Sherry Seymour, um, uh, the name of the book escapes me, but if you Google Sherry Seymour, it's Sherry with a C, C H E R I. Um, you'll come up with it. Um, and it's, it really kind of touches on the core of really what this network is, but basically he connected a lot of people from a lot of different events. He kind of brought people that were in Iran Contra into, you know, BCCI scandal. So you're talking financial, you're talking drugs, you're talking about, um, you know, all sorts of different things that, you know, the ends law. Um, and you know, this is, this is a case where, you know, one of the big ones that stands out for me, um, is that they found a half-empty bottle of red wine and a broken wine glass next to the bathtub. And there was an empty can of beer, right, found inside the tub. Well, no alcohol was ever found in Castellero's bloodstream. Uh, 
and, and, and no testing was done. I mean, there, there's so many different questions on that. And the brother, I don't think, I think it was weeks after it was substantial time. It was a week, two weeks. Don't quote me on that hundred percent, but it was substantial time before his family was notified. Uh, and so, I mean, there's so many questions with that one. And I think that, you know, these are cases where uh, the, I'm really kind of look not only in my own personal research, with, with, with the organization that, that we're kind of, you know, my colleagues and I are really kind of putting forward is, look, we not only do we want to really touch on these these political assassinations and talk about, you know, talk about the drugs, talk about all the scandals. We want to talk about the people like the Danny Casaleros of the world, you know, that whether it be in the capacity of, look, they may, in fact, be another deep state event in and of themselves. They they may have been eliminated. They may have been a target. Well, maybe Gary Webb wasn't eliminated per se, but these are that's somebody else that we want to talk about. We want to talk about these people that, you know, not only what they were investigating, but really kind of put them forward and allow their legacy to, you know, to continue to be out there. These are people whose names should be known, you know, and it's it's sad that they're it's sad that yeah. they're not. I mean, agreed, you know, very much agreed with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where can people find out about your uh, the Center for Deep Political Research? So we are at uh, www.cdpresearch.com. That's cdpresearch.com. Uh, it's the Center for Deep Political Research. Um, you know, we go by the acronym CDPR, uh, which is kind of funny. We, we joked when... Uh, one of my colleagues uh, joked with me when we, when we first came up with the name. He said, "You know, the the other side is, you know, with, with the acronym, we've got CDPR. If you say it slowly, it's CDPR. You know, which is funny because the deep state—that's what they do. They're disinformation. It's CDPR. You know, so it's kind of I kind of I kind of chuckle to myself every time I I think about that. But um, you know, that's probably website is kind of under development." But there's a number of different ways to kind of contact um, our leadership team throughout that site. Uh, we're on Facebook. I would say that's our biggest venue right now. We're though our our organization itself is really in its baby stages. We're still, you know, going getting fully recognized as a nonprofit. You know, we finally found a home in North Carolina. Um, you know, and it's going to be it's going to be a while. Uh, we're still in the business planning stage of it all. But, you know, the ultimate goal is really to put together a small staff uh, of, of researchers, to have investigative teams, you know, to really be able to kind of have the element of, look, on one side, we've got the research. And then on the other side, we've got, you know, whether it be we were putting out annual reports or essays, we'll probably also do podcasts, documentaries, things like that. So nice. it'll be kind of taking it in, putting it out. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a tall order, just the idea of putting a think tank together. That's nonpartisan. I mean, you look at most of the think tanks and they're aligned one way or the other. Uh, and, and again, when you look at, at an organization, you know, we'll be seeking 501 C three status. Well, we're seeking status of the government in which we're largely investigating. So, you know, if that's not going to, if, if we're not already on their radar, and I'm sure that we are either individually or collectively, uh, you know, the second that, that we're on paper, you know, that opens us up to, you know, we have to make sure that, you know, every number is, is set and perfect as it would be because we've got a respectable uh, respectable base of, of folks behind us. But it's definitely something that, uh, you know, is, is kind of a, it's been 
something a long time coming for a number of deep political researchers. There's a couple other good organizations out there that we really want to work work with. We're not looking to compete. Um, you know, I think that there should be a few um, think tanks out there devoted to deep political research, like you know, like I mentioned earlier there's there's this is a whole this is a whole school of thought you know this is this is something that's not out there it's not in the school books um and it should be uh but the only way to really kind of win the war and it's it's you know we're probably not going to win a war but you got to kind of nick and chip away well through organizations like this but it's got to be more than the research it's got to be you're researching but you're putting it out there um for me, as somebody who's worked in politics, done a lot with digital marketing and things like that, I like to think that uh, myself and some of the people that, that we already have here with us, we're looking at ways to try and getting it out there because it's one thing when you're preaching to the choir at other deep political researchers. Well, they're already out, liked us on Facebook and following us on Twitter, which again, we're, we're on all the, we're on Instagram, Twitter, uh, the handles CDP research at CDP research. Um, but you know all that all that in mind we've got uh, uh, we've got our, our work ahead of us but I think that it, it's something uh, with a purpose it's something that somebody somebody should be doing and I think that um, you know it, it's a fight that we're, we're in for the long haul so hopefully folks will come in and give us a look and be patient like I said we're as an organization we're in the baby stages right now we're just posting a whole lot on social media trying to share some of the stuff that's already out there so that you know we can bring in younger folks who might not be into this kind of thing but they say oh okay so I see how JFK gets into this because otherwise why do I care about JFK yeah I think it's a conspiracy but it happened you know, 50, 50 plus years ago, I, it, it doesn't affect my life, you know, but if you can show that, okay, well that links to here and now, then it becomes more than just a, you know, fun conspiracy theory to talk about with friends. It's wow. That's, this is what we do. So it's really about kind of putting the pieces uh, out in front of everybody. Yeah. Well, wow. That's, that's impressive. And I think now also too, I mean, now's a good time, especially when we have all this talk about the deep state, I mean, this is out there in the consciousness, I think, even more so yeah. now. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and again, I mean, it's, again, to, to sound like that paranoid conspiracy theorist, it's, it's a convenient time to come <laughs> out with that. I mean, you got, you got the two terms that, you know, scare the, scare the hell out of me, or, you know, uh, um, you've got, uh, uh, in addition to conspiracy theorists, now you've got deep state, um, and you've also got fake news. Well, by opening the door that is fake news, you know, if, if you have organizations like Facebook that that start, um, you know, detecting reported fake news sites and deleting posts and things like that, and a lot of that probably goes on and different different sites as it is, and so that's something that we that that are really against us. Yes, there there are legitimate sites that pretend to be news sites and they put themselves out there as news. We don't pretend, nor will we pretend. Though we may have journalists working with us, we want to be a res resource for journalists. We also hope to kind of bring the great journalists we, you know, to the table so that they can write about the work. We'll issue reports and you know and things of that nature. But um, you know, you guys are the ones that kind of take it and push it out there. Um, but you know, if you start labeling it, well, this organization's fake news. Again, not to say that there's not legitimate people out there pushing you know stuff that's just you know that's just completely false. Um, but but to but to be fair, so is the mainstream media. There's you know there's um, you know, there are a number of, of 
establishment kind of mainstream media folks on either side, um, you know, that really kind of just push out stuff that has no base, that has no research, there's nothing behind it. Um, you know, but if, if you start terming stuff as, well, that's fake news, then it becomes, you know, it becomes like a, a, a death sentence. So I'm sure that they'll use them, but, yeah. you know. Everybody's everybody's using the fake news thing now. It's just so ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, anytime that you want to come on here and talk about what your organization is doing, what you're studying, uh, you're more than welcome to, sir. Great. Well, it's uh, I really appreciate appreciate you ha- uh, having me on, Adam, and uh, definitely stay in touch. Um, you're you're a great resource. I think it's it's folks like you and Thank you. Uh, this podcast out there that look it's it's it it really does kind of take a uh, network of people to really do this. It takes all the Penn Jones, all the May Brussels, all the people that you know been doing this for how many different years until their death. You know, it it, it just we're all pieces of the puzzle. Um, and so I appreciate what you do too. So thanks again for having me on. Well, thank you so much and stay on the line for us, Jeff. And we're going to close this section out on conspiratorial. Welcome back to Conspiracy Normal, everybody. That was uh, that was fascinating. Jeff seems like a pretty knowledgeable, cool guy. Yeah, he's very knowledgeable. Uh, he's he knows a lot of stuff. I was, uh, uh, I you know, sometimes you meet somebody on Facebook, and you're maybe not too sure about them. Uh, he he was posting a lot of interesting material that uh, I really enjoyed looking at. And like I said, I just I just approached him about coming on. I think maybe I think maybe he actually listened to the show. I think maybe he caught the show somehow, sent me a friend request, and then uh said something about liking the show, enjoying what I did, and I just said, Well, hey, you know, I'm looked at your stuff on Facebook and on the website. If you're interested in coming on, let's let's do this. So just kind of throwing that out there. You know, and he accepted it and, you know, very good. Somebody like, you know, kind of like our good friend, Chris, right. That, you yeah. know, is a fan of the show and, and we bring them on and, you know, I like to do that because, you know, it's not just about like, I'm glad that we have guests like Nick Redfern and Randall Carlson and Peter Robbins and Richard Dolan, these guys that are really heavy hitters in the field, even guys like Greg Bishop um, I'm glad that we have those people and that they come on, but I also like to get people that are more, you know, new up and coming people that, you know, may not be in, not have been heard from. Right. And I think yeah. that makes things interesting. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. And, you know, just different new perspectives in general. I think you get a lot of newer, um, kind of alternative views that way too. Cause you're not, you're not hearing the same stuff that's been right kind of uh you know done in every show through you know for years and years and years right and i remember reading a article about uh, i think it was tim beckley that put this article up about podcasting and getting guests on and he said don't just get 
people that are well-known, get people that are not as well-known, you know, mix it up a little bit. And I realized, you know, like, hey, we're already doing that. So mm-hmm. um, what do you think about some of the stuff that he talked about as far as, like, the material? Um, I don't know. This one I, I definitely need to, to listen back through. Um, yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, it's it's a real broad topic. And like I was saying earlier, it's 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 one of the ones that to me it's it's one of the most interesting. At the same time, it's one of the most terrifying because it's it's something I really do like see um, evidence of everywhere we look, you know, especially these days. And it's it's just I don't know, scares me. The whole yeah. intelligence community. Mm-hmm. It's a scary, frightening world. That's for sure. And it's been going on. I mean, long before even. Trump came to power. I oh mean, yeah, it's been going on for a long, long time. And I don't know really what the what the issue is with Trump. You know, like I said before, people that think that he's the new JFK, and I really don't see him as that. I mean, you never know. You could have people in the intelligence community that might uh, believe that he is a real danger, but the underhanded tactics that they're they're using is just a just a danger. So you're just fighting fire with fire. It's 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 counterproductive. Yeah, all of it is, <clears throat> and setting a bad precedent because that's not their job. Yeah, exactly. Um, the origins of the deep state. I found it interesting that he put that at like the beginning of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I, I would almost put things at a little bit earlier than that. I would say that it really goes back to kind of like the Eastern establishment in many ways. Um, Yale, Skull and Bones. The these these kind of things. Which we can get more into that later, because um, we have more important things to talk about right now. Oh, which is we're going back to Doctor Phil. <laughs> Doctor Phil, and I really wish Luke was here about to talk about this, but because uh, it was his girlfriend that keyed me in on this. Doctor Phil apparently must have had a slump in the ratings after the Cash Me Outside girl. Because he got this girl on his show that was talking about sex trafficking. Now, I want to play a clip. And then I want to read a little bit of an article. And I want to talk about this and some things that I have noticed in this. So let's play the clip now. And actually, I have the power today. When I was in the world of sex trafficking, I gave birth to children. I was allowed to get pregnant because men paid for that. I was pregnant several times, but I had several abortions. I had three that survived, two girls and a boy. When I had each child, they were all induced so that I wouldn't get too big. After I had each baby, they were taken away, but sometimes I would get to see them later as a reward. I don't know who their fathers are or where they are. I would like to have my kids with me, but I feel like if I did, I would just get them in trouble. It's been so difficult that even now, I try to forget that I've had them. Were you involved in raising these children? (laughs) No. So... How quickly were they taken away from you? Dr. Right Phil. After I had them. So you've not seen them? You don't have a relationship with them? Um, I've seen them several times for like, um, like if I did something right or if, 
he wanted me to do something, sometimes he would say I could see one of them after. And there was the younger girl I had, um, I saw her more often than the other two. Now, when he started trafficking you in a commercial way, how many times would you be expected to perform in a day? I don't know. It's hard to even know sometimes when the day ended. Would you see three or would you see 15? More like 15. In, in a day? Yeah, unless, I mean, if the client paid for something exclusive, then you could be with him longer. Or if they were doing something different than just sex, um, you, you have to finish with the client, do whatever they want. But if it was just sex, it would be a lot of men. Okay, and when you would see 15 a day, where would you see them? Would it be in a hotel? Would it be, would they come to you? Would you go to them? Where would you see that many people? Um, like a lot of times I would go to parties and that's where I would see them. Sometimes they would come to me if I was um, being punished for something and I was put in one of his brothels, then they would come there. Sometimes I just like would live in a room for a while where the men would come, but sometimes I would live somewhere and we would go to visit the men. Uh -huh. And when you were flown, you said sometimes you were put on a private jet and flown into uh, a big event uh, and you had to dress up and be highly groomed and so you would fit in. For the clothes, usually a guy would come in with a lot of expensive clothes and dress us up. Um, I also had a hair and makeup artist. That would fix you up for a big event? Yeah. And how much would you charge these people? I don't charge them anything. You didn't handle the money? No. So it was direct, to, who, who did handle the money? Um, I guess the people working for the man who owns me. Okay, that's, that's enough of that. Okay, I want to get back to the babies thing just a bit okay but i want to get some background on what you guys just heard okay to explain exactly what it is that uh who this is that dr phil had on his show right uh and it's just really just a coincidence that this is dr phil again you know i don't want you to talk about dr <laughs> phil on conspirator wall He's all not the time. Your favorite. even even though even though he is i just think damned hilarious but uh, this is from The New American. Dr. Phil interview exposes, I'm sorry, Dr. Phil interview exposes global elite pedophiles. I'll say it like Dr. Phil would. In what, would, in what may be the most explosive episode of his high-profile television career, psychologist and TV show host Dr. Phil exposed the little-known phenomenon of human trafficking of sex slaves among the elite echelons of society. According to Dr. Phil, the victim and reliable sources who corroborated her story, the girl, now a young woman, perhaps in her mid-twenties, was flown around the world on private jets and forced to have sexual relations and engage in unspeakable acts with wealthy businessmen, political leaders, and other establishment figures. Much of what was described on the Dr. Phil show sounded satanic, analysts said. Experts, experts 
who have studied the phenomenon, though, say this story is just the tip of a gigantic iceberg that stretches across the globe and is especially concentrated in power centers such as Washington, D.C., New York City, and London. With President Donald Trump vowing to crack down hard on human trafficking and sex slavery, victims and their advocates hope the the scourge can be brought into the open and that the perpetrators can be brought to justice regardless of their position in society. U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions is reportedly committed to doing everything within his power to bring down high-level pedophiles and human traffickers. The victim, who appeared on Dr. Phil's enormously popular show, identified only as Kendall, said on the program that she was sold to her owner by her parents at birth. I was born into the world of sex trafficking, she said on the program, which aired nationwide on March 21st and was reportedly seen by millions of Americans. I was forced to have sex with clients. One of my first memories was to think it was normal for men to be fondling babies. In one case, she was even forced by her owner to kill a baby, she said. In other instances, she was forced to rape children as young as five years old. Her entire existence revolved around the demands of her owner and the clients this criminal would pimp her out to. My whole life, I would travel all over the world and would go to some of the biggest events to meet clients and have sex with them, the victim explained. They were all extremely rich and prominent members of society. Sometimes they would just want to have sex with me, and sometimes they would make me have sex with different people. When her owner was not around, she was supervised by watchers. Among those who raped her, she said, were high-ranking law enforcement officials, major sports figures, and even top U.S. politicians. Oftentimes, she was taken to extravagant mansions where the clients would rape, torture, and abuse her and other captive children. Many of the clients were pillars of the community. Kendall continued, adding that some even owned private islands or large properties where they could rape and hunt their victims with impunity. And then it talks about the Lolita Express, which we've talked about on the show, the Jeffrey Epstein, which is proven to have happened. Uh, also talks about uh, the conspiracy of silence, about the Franklin cover-up, which we've talked about. Dennis Hastert, which we've talked about. So a lot of Jimmy Savile, which we've talked about. So every just about everything in this article we have talked about at one time or another. Plus the Pizzagate stuff. Okay. All that aside, you've been with me now for about three years, almost three years doing this show. Right. You just heard that clip where she talked about how she had been repeatedly pregnant and the babies are taken away from her. And at times she is allowed to see the babies, but then the babies are retaken away from her. So out of everything that we've talked about on this show, what two things do you think that that sounds most familiar? <laughs> um, well, naturally, the alien abduction. Bingo. Where they're presented with the child later. Bingo. Um, what would the second one be? Static ritual abuse. Oh, right, right. Now, in both, in satanic ritual abuse, usually the idea, usually what they say is, is that they, the claims that were made in the satanic panic in the 80s and then the 90s was they would say that these girls 
were impregnated by someone in their coven. And oftentimes these were the girls themselves that would say this kind of stuff. And they would say that the babies were taken away from them and were sacrificed or they were given to other members of the coven. Now, in the satanic ritual abuse stuff, as far as I know, I don't see anything that says that they were ever shown the babies again, right? But, as you said, in the alien abduction lore, you do have people that under hypnosis have claimed that they were pregnant, the aliens took the babies, and at a later time they were re-abducted, and they were shown the babies so that the ba- the hybrids would have some kind of human contact with their mothers. Now contrast that with what we just played in the clip. It's very similar. It's like you could put you could just take out a word here or there instead of sex traffickers, it's space aliens. Instead of space aliens, it's Satanists. See what I'm getting at here? Yeah. It's the same <clears throat> stuff. It's the same thing. And I'm not necessarily saying that all three phenomenon are the same, but I'm saying is that it's the, the phenomenon there is the fact that you're just taking one group and adding in that group, but the story stays the same. Yeah, I was trying to, sorry, I was trying to imagine some sort of correlation. Obviously, there there isn't one, but it's, I wonder if possibly that could be, I mean, obviously, they're, they're you know, according to her description, they're using that as a, a um, not necessarily a form of brainwashing, but a form of like um, punishment reward system sort of a thing for her. And I wonder if that's because it's, right. it's sort of a deep-seated fear, maybe in in women who have children, and that's why it's surfaced in other areas as well. Yeah, and there's also things like fake pregnancies, that phenomenon that happens. Yeah. Um. Now I don't know if she has been trafficked or not, but I'm gonna really have to say that I'm like going to call BS on this story because of the similarities to these other two things. It's almost like she could have just picked up on that from watching things about alien abduction or reading things about Satan, about, uh, about SRA, satanic ritual abuse. It's all very similar. Instead, like I said, she's using the word child traffickers. Now, child trafficking does exist. We've talked about that many times. But this has become one of those kind of like cause celebs right now. And I think it's a good thing that there are Christian groups out there that are doing good work trying to prevent child trafficking. But we're starting to edge just a little bit, especially with the Pizzagate stuff which I've gone on the record saying that I think there is something to it. But I think we're beginning to edge a little bit into mass hysteria here. Yeah. Okay. In the 80s, 
Rado Rivera had this big special, <laughs> which which you can still see this thing online. I've watched it. Geraldo had this big special, which he later came out and said it was all bullshit. Has later distanced himself from it and even said that none of it was really true. That it was just sensationalist television. Now, Dr. Phil goes on and he, he even comes out and he says that he had these experts and this team that corroborated her story, that checked it out and her story matches. Well, the only person we're hearing this from is Dr. Phil. Where's the evidence? Where's the proof? Or one single name of all these high-profile you know, clients. And- yeah. Well, but he's then he's going to say, well, we can't tell you. He does say, he does say, we can't tell you who these people are. Right. But is anybody doing anything about it? That's, that's my, my question. Well, he's saying he can't tell you who these people are, but he's also (laughs) saying, I can't tell you who my sources are. Well, if you can't tell me who the sources are, then we can't, we would not doubt that this We we can doubt that this story, her story is even true. You see what I'm saying? And so here we are in 2017 with all the Pizzagate that came out after the election and all the focus on child trafficking. And then all of a sudden this girl comes on and she's telling very similar stories to all these other people, like in the the kids in the McMartin preschool case who said that uh, they got taken down to uh, underground chambers for which they could access by being flushed down, they could access by being flushed down the toilet, and that uh, not only the workers at the daycare were down there uh, in the satanic rituals, but Chuck Norris was down there with them too, uh, you know. And that in the the McMartin concerned parents of the McMartin kids were on the Harado special. Now here we are in 2017, and Doctor Phil's like, well, I got to do something to ta- to to. Uh, top the cash me outside girl because you know she made him what he is if it wasn't for me and now he comes out with this that gets the biggest ratings of his show ever we're starting to edge on hysteria here and even though there is an actual real concern in my mind it's like let's not edge into this hysteria where all of a sudden everybody's a child sex trafficker where now it's not, you know, we replaced the Satanists. We replaced Satanists with Muslims, with Muslims with child sex traffickers. Before that, it was aliens. If you want to go way back, it was the Jews killing Christian children to put their blood in matzo balls. Okay? So let's be careful. That's all I'm saying. These daytime TV shows that are going to try to get all these ratings. And I know somebody's going to sit there and just be like, oh my God, this is true. Can you believe this? It's these satanic child sex traffickers. This girl's story is horrible. But according to this girl, she was pregnant like five times a year or something like that. Well, that math just doesn't work right there. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it, it's it's the same. It, it's just the same stuff. 
I guess just another uh, another snapshot of the world circa 2017, I suppose. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, next time we are going to have on the guy that y'all sent me so many good emails about um, when we talked about Pizzagate with him. And we're bringing back Thad McCracken. Uh-huh. So I'm just going to sit back and let the guy go 100 <laughs> miles an hour. And hopefully no f bombs get get uh, get dropped. Well, at least not too many. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, Rob, tell everybody where they can hear us and about the Patreon one more time, and we'll close it out. Yeah, you can uh, check out everything on our website at www.conspiranormal.com. There's uh, links to the show, the links to our Patreon page. Is uh, we got. If you want to support the show, we got a donate button on there for one-time donations or our Patreon account, which we just recorded episode number four today. Um, mm-hmm. You can head over to Patreon, and that's uh, uh, patreon.com slash conspiranormal. Yeah, you'll get to hear the adventures of young Peter Robbins. Part one. Part two is part one upcoming, and it will yeah. be epic. And it shall be epic. And uh, Dr. Phil listens to Conspiranormal, and so should you. <laughs> and Luke, take us out. Oh, yeah, Luke's not here. All right, guys. We'll catch you next week on Conspiranormal. I miss Luke. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park